It's my desire to live for Jesus. It's my desire to live for Him. Though often I failed and brought Him a shame, it's my Jesus brought me from to where I am today. You would know the reason why I love him so. Now you can take this world's wealth and riches. I don't need her fame. It's my desire. my desire to help someone today someone who might have failed to see the way I too once was lost but I found my way to God now it's my desire Jesus brought me from to where I am today. You would know the reason why I love him so. Now you can take this world's wealth and riches. I don't need earth's fame. It's my desire. Jesus brought me from to where I am today. You would know the reason why I love him so. Now you can take this world's wealth and riches. I don't need earth's fame. It's my desire. That's a song, isn't it? That's a good one. Amen. Well, take your Bibles, turn over to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 17 again. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17. Last week we began and addressed the issue of talking about killing giants. Well, today I want to talk a little bit more about that. Now, the, the title of the message was originally Killing Giants for Dummies. Remember those books that are out, you know? 
Uh, actually, uh, you know, and I decided to change it, obviously. I chose not to go with that title simply because I know better than that. You're not dummies. <laughs> or at least, <laughs> well, I was kind of hoping I wasn't. But anyway, I won't ask your opinion. Nonetheless, DOS for Dummies, it was the first one that came out in November of 1991. Can you imagine that? Remember, that was an operating system. Kind of a long ways from that, aren't we? DOS for Dummies. And, of course, there were a number of others that came out, and, uh, you know, it just was crazy. Now they have, you know, Art for Dummies and Star Trek for Dummies and everything else. They've got all kinds of them. And, honestly, maybe he was right. Maybe we are dummies, but I guarantee you one thing. The guy who wrote those books isn't a dummy. He's a millionaire today. So, anyway, uh, we're going to talk about killing giants, but not killing giants. We're going to talk about how to kill them. So we talked about the need for it. We made that pretty clear, right? We understand that, truthfully, our, 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 the next generation of fundamental Bible-believing Christians is dependent on whether or not you and I kill some giants. We understand that our world is in great need of some giants going down. We realize that if people are going to take seriously the Word of God and the work of God and the lifestyle of the Lord Jesus Christ, my friend, there's going to have to be some giants that come down. We talked about that already. We know that David, of course, here in the passage, and we're going to begin reading in verse 49, but let's kind of take a look at the end of the story, and then we'll talk a little bit about it and move right on into what does it take in order to kill a giant? Because that's important. Notice what it says here in verse 49. And David put his hand in his bag and took thence a stone and slang it. I still love that every time I read it. I love slanging it. I mean, that's just something right there. You know what I mean? Whew. Slang it. And smote the Philistine in his forehead, that the stone sunk into his forehead, and he fell upon his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with the sling and with the stone and smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out and of a sheath thereof and slew him and cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. Again, we talked about the fact that this particular giant, Goliath, was a big man. And uh, David is just, he's one of those giant killers that all of us have read about, heard about, whether it's in Sunday school or in a church service like this, or maybe just reading your Bible through. You've read about David. You've read about this magnificent, wonderful victory that came about. Here's this giant that's nine foot six to 10 feet tall. He weighs 500 plus pounds. I mean, this guy has armor that weighs likely 150 to 200 pounds. The Bible tells us that his spearhead is 15 pounds. And then we note that later on, we talk about his sword. I mean, a standard sword is probably anywhere from 2.4 pounds to 4.5 pounds. And the fact is, is that this sword weighed 15 pounds, they tell us. I mean, this is a giant of a man. This is an impossible feat, an impossible task. And yet God gave a great victory to a young man by the name of David. I mean, we know how it ends. David slang that stone. And it sunk into the forehead of Goliath. And the Bible tells us that Goliath fell forward. I think it's interesting, as I mentioned the other day, he fell forward. But the Bible tells us that there comes a day in time in history when every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
And can I tell you that giant, although he blasphemed the God of heaven, and although he mocked and made fun of the armies of Israel, he fell on his face and he worshipped the Lord. I don't care. Go ahead and say, I don't believe in God. I don't believe the Bible. I don't believe in living like a Christian. My friend, it doesn't matter what you believe. You will fall on your face before God. How important is killing giants? Again, we noted how David killing this giant inspired a generation to kill giants. And again, as we mentioned, if we're going to see our young people grow up to do some giant killing, if we're going to see them take on the, the facets of society that are so degraded and continually disintegrating before our eyes, if they're going to stand in a world where we have no longer any heart for God and no longer any desire for the Word of God, and it seems that as a culture we are moving so quickly away from God Himself, my friend, they better see some giants fall. It's not going to be easy to stand. 43 years after the giant falls, there were other giants falling, though. A giant represents something impossible, the impossible. And as we said, God's looking for a man that will attempt the impossible. A church needs a man to do the impossible. The world has no hope except the impossible be done. So what does it take to kill a giant? What's it take to kill a giant? Well, I want to give you four simple thoughts today, four things that it takes, and then we'll be done. So let's pray. Father, we come to you. We thank you for this time together. We ask, Lord, that you'd meet our needs. We pray that you'd continue to bless us, encourage us, and strengthen us. Lord, today, as we go to your word, we pray that you would just help us to recognize what characteristics and qualities are necessary and needful for us to be giant killers, knowing that, Father, the future of our, our families, the future of our churches, the future of our nation is at stake. Someone has to stand up. Someone has to step up. Someone has to kill a giant. Lord, show us how to do that today. Give us some insight into that. Well, thank you in Christ's name. Amen. First of all, what's it take in order to kill a giant then? What's it take to do the impossible it takes conviction. Conviction. See, you have to believe something. You have to be willing to take a stand. Look, if you would, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 26. Here we see David again. The Bible tells us, And David spake to that man that stood by him, saying, what shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. Now, if we'd go back in the scripture, we'd recognize and realize that they had already explained to them and told him about the fact that the king would ultimately give them the freedom to their family, that he would, he would give his daughter to the one who killed the giant and so forth. And so that is what they're referring to. That's what they're dis discussing and what they're sharing. So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? 
I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart. For thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. And David said, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? David hears that giant mocking his God and maligning and mistreating the armies of the living God. He sees him blaspheming the God of heaven and he says, listen, I won't stand for it. I won't put up with it. He had some convictions. And he had a cause. Can I ask you what really matters to you? What really matters to you? Be careful that what matters to you matters to God. Who and what will you allow to influence you? Because who and what you allow to influence you will determine your convictions. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4 verse 14. I think it's important to recognize and realize that there are a lot of influences in the world today. Notice what it says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. He's sharing with us something about the church, the local church, and the need to be there, to be influenced by the word of God and so forth. But notice what he says here in verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie and wait to deceive. I think that word doctrine is important and I think it's important to note something, that there are many doctrines in the world today. We get the idea somehow that the only doctrine that there is is in the Word of God. That is not necessarily the case. As a matter of fact, in Titus chapter 2, verse 10, we do read that there's the doctrine of God, our Savior. But then also we read in Revelation 2, 14, there's the doctrine of Balaam. We also read in chapter 2 of that same chapter, doctrine of the Nicolaitans. We see in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, there are doctrines of devils. Can I tell you there are a number of different doctrines that are promoted in the world. The question is today, which doctrine in this world are you following? You and I need to adhere to the to Bible doctrine. Biblical doctrine. The doctrine of God our Savior. Hey listen, get some Bible convictions. Oh, there are all kinds of people with all kinds of convictions in the world in which we live. I mean, there are people today that if you didn't wear a mask in front of them, they're ready to throw you in jail. They're ready to take your life if necessary. They've got convictions, my friend. But let me ask you something. Where your convictions lie? What is it that's important to you? What matters most to you? Is it something you find in this book? Is it a principle? Is it a truth that the Word of God outlines and lays out? Do you have some Bible convictions? Find out what the Bible says instead of what others have to say. Identify some Bible standards of holiness and separation. Get some Bible convictions. Too many of us are in and out and up and down and off and on. We've learned and we've been told years through the years, hey, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for everything. 
Again, there's so many causes in the world today. Find out what the Bible says and then live it. On the surface, those causes, even in the world, I'm telling you, be careful. They may seem noble. They may seem needed and even necessary. However, remember this. Be careful. You say, why? Well, they may be dangling a worm, but they really seek to hook you and ultimately eat you up. Because, see, the devil would love to get you chasing the wrong cause. He'd love you to get questioning your convictions. He'd love you to discard those convictions even. Well, I used to think reading the Bible was important. I used to think going to church was important. I used to think serving God was important. I used to, used to. The devil wielded his sword and he got in there, didn't he? You don't have any Bible convictions any longer. You better be careful what you stand for. Listen, we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we are going to give an account for what we have done in this body, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Let me tell you, God's going to hold us accountable for what we've done since we've received and accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. And my friend, when I stand before God, I don't want to think that I threw my life away on some cause other than a Bible cause. David was unwavering in his convictions. He wouldn't stand behind and allow that giant to curse his God. He wouldn't allow him to make fun of the armies of Israel, even if it meant death. He says in 1 Samuel 17, 46, This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee. And I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there's a God in Israel. He was concerned about God's reputation and that everybody knew his God. See, David's cause was an eternal cause. And it was rooted in Bible conviction. You know, when the Apostle Paul was facing potential persecution and even death, he made this statement. He said, none of these things move me. What he was saying was, is there wasn't anything that, that could be done to me that's going to move me, that's going to motivate me, except the love of Jesus Christ and his love for me. If you're going to kill some giants... You need to get some Bible convictions that are non-negotiable and worthy of death. I mean, we all want to be giant killers, but you have to have some convictions. Bible convictions. Number two, if you're going to kill a giant, you're going to need some confidence. Turn to, again, 1 Samuel 17 here, verse 37. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 37. You need some confidence. Notice what the Bible says here concerning David in chapter 17, verse 37. David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. Remember, he's speaking to Saul now. And he's telling him, he's saying, listen now. He says, the same Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he'll deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. <laughs> I like that. David had some confidence to kill a giant. And in this particular case, we see 
It was a result of past successes. I mean, he came to the place in his life where he said, you know what? I believe God can. And I believe God will. Are you there in your life? See, it's important that the believer experience some spiritual victories in their life if they hope to kill a giant. God given you some victories over temptation in your life? I mean, we're not talking about just giants. We're talking about everyday life. Every day we're confronted with temptation. How you doing on some of that? If you're not experiencing some victories in your daily walk with God, how do you expect to kill a giant? How do you expect your confidence to be such that when the giant stands before you, you don't run off like all the rest of the army did. Instead, you run at it. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, the Bible says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Oh, preacher, I'm just bound by this sin. I just can't get over it. I can't deal with it. It's got me where it wants me. I'm at its uh, disposal. I'm bowed before it. I seem to serve my lust. I seem to serve my sin. My friend, let me tell you, you better start getting some victories in your life. If you ever hope to kill a giant, you've got to have some smaller victories. I just can't overcome this. You better figure it out. We wonder why our children are going off the deep end. We wonder why at 17, 18, they want nothing to do with God and nothing to do with the church and nothing to do with the Bible and nothing to do with God. Let me tell you, it's because God is doing nothing in our lives. And if they don't see God working in our lives, there's no reason for them to think he'll work in theirs. David had confidence to face a giant because he had already experienced some spiritual victories in his life. In John 16, the Bible says, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. <laughs> I have overcome the world, he said. I've overcome it. Listen, there are some normal conflicts. There are just some general battles that we face in life. Again, and if we ever hope to do the impossible on behalf of God, we're going to have to have experienced God's deliverance. See, those past victories in our life, they provide the foundation that confidence and faith stand upon. And when God gives us a victory, we're encouraged. Put yourself in a place to experience God's deliverance and his victory in your life. Again, God had delivered David out of the mouth of the lion, out of the mouth of the bear. So he had confidence that God could and would deliver him out of the hand of that Philistine. I guarantee you this, you're not going to wake up tomorrow ready to kill a giant if you haven't been preparing already. I mean, we could make the application to David. I'm sure that David didn't just wake up one day and could use a sling so effectively and efficiently. I'm sure that he didn't just wake up one morning and say, wow, you know what? I just feel like I could really sling a rock. Picked up those ro a rock, a couple of rocks, found up an old, 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 dusty old uh, sling, and he put that on in there, and he went like that, and went, wow. I could hit a fly off the 
tip of a needle. Man, I am really amazing with this thing. This is unbelievable. I guarantee it took a lot of hours of practice. Over and over and over and over and over, he practiced and did it. We think somehow we're just going to wake up one day and start killing giants. It ain't going to happen. Spend time walking with God. Spend time worshiping in his house. Spend time involved in the work of God. Spend time winning others to Jesus Christ. Get some spiritual victories so when the giant confronts you, you won't run from it. You'll run toward it. Because you'll have confidence that only comes as a result of past victories that God has given. So we noted, first of all, that we need some convictions. We need confidence. But number three, we need some courage. If you're going to kill a giant, you better have some courage. The truth is, you and I cannot allow fear to rule us. Look what the Bible says in 1 Samuel 17. Notice verse 32. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight this Philistine. Now, I don't know about you, but that is, to me, an interesting statement. He said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Don't let anybody be concerned. Don't let anybody be down in the mouth. Don't let anybody be upset. Don't let anybody be afraid. Don't let it concern them. Notice who he's speaking to, by the way. He's speaking to Saul. You know who Saul is? Saul is the king of Israel. Not only that, but Saul is an interesting man in the Bible. The Bible tells us that he was a head taller than the rest. We understand, at least from certain historians, that it's likely that a Jewish man was only five foot six normally. That means that Saul, being a head taller then, must have been at least six feet tall. In a sense, he was kind of like a giant among men. And here's David. No more probably than five foot six at, the, at that time in his life. He's still a young man. He's still growing. And the fact is, he probably didn't weigh more than 140 or 150 pounds. But can I tell you, he's talking to the king of Israel. He's talking to somebody that's a head taller than the rest of the men. And here's David willing to go face a giant and consoling the king. Not only that, but Saul was trained in warfare. I mean, Saul had spent hours practicing with a sword. He had spent hours and hours throwing a spear. He had been taught by the best how to use a, 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 a shield. And here's little David coming out of the field, watching sheep, telling the king this Six-footer better man that had been trained in warfare. King, let no man's heart fail because of him. And he didn't say this, but I'm sure it's implied, including yours. Thy servant will go and fight with the Philistine. 
I'll take care of it. Don't worry about it, king. I got this covered. Someone says, boy, that seems arrogant. Boy, old David's certainly prideful. We'll deal with that in just a few moments. I'll talk about that in a moment. But notice what he says later in the passage, verse 48 now. We were at 32. Notice how he speaks up in 48. David says, And it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hastened and ran toward the enemy or army to meet the Philistine. What courage. While the trained armies of Israel ran the opposite direction, David ran toward it. You go ahead and put our police down. Go ahead and rip them all you want. But when the bullets are flying, they're running toward them. Go ahead. Well, there's a bunch of bad ones. They're all bad. You go ahead and think whatever you want. But I promise you this, people breaking in your home, you'll call them. And David was one that was running at the bullets. Well, everybody else ran away. David ran at it. He had courage. He had courage. In 2 Timothy 1, 7, the Bible says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now listen, there is an element of rational fear. You know, I'm afraid to put my hand in the fire for fear that it's going to burn, burn me and hurt and, and it's going to burn my flesh up. Hey, that's a rational fear, right? Don't put your hand in fire. That's crazy. On the other hand, uh, I say, well, you know what? I'm just scared to death. I'm afraid to drive down the road for fear that a telephone pole may fall upon my car and crush me. What? You have more chance of being struck by lightning more than, uh, lightning more than likely than a, a, a telephone pole falling down on your car and crushing you. That's an irrational fear. Oh, preacher, you just don't understand. I mean, I, I'm just scared to death of that. I drive down the road. I just wait. I mean, just look at, oh, no, that one's starting to lean. When's the last time you heard about a, a, a telephone pole falling on a car and killing someone? You don't hear it, read about that. You read about that in the news every day, right? No, you don't. You don't, know. That's an irrational fear. Again, the facts don't support that narrative. I probably have more chances, I said, getting hit by lightning than that happening. Now, although fear is natural and it's a normal response to danger, God is reminding us that we cannot allow fear to rule our spirits. That's what he's really getting at. See, he's not the author of that fear. When, when, when faced with occupying the land back there in Joshua. The Bible tells us that God reminds him that he can't let fear rule his spirit. He says, have not I commanded thee, Joshua 1.9, be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. It's not that we may not have rational fear, but there comes a point where we cannot allow fear to rule our spirit. We can't allow it to make our decisions for us. We can't allow it to affect how we view life. We can't let fear rule us. 
And in this case, the answer to the problem is simply this, that, God, that the courage that David experienced was a direct result of the fact that God was with him. And that's exactly what Joshua is teaching us. He says, don't you let fear, Joshua, rule your heart. Don't you let it control your decision making. You just obey me because I am there with you. I'm with you always. That's the basis of this unprecedented courage, the presence of Christ himself. We could speak of the three Hebrew children. We could talk about Daniel in the lion's den. We could consider Moses in Egypt. But what about you? What about me? See, how confident are we that God is with us? I wonder, do you find yourself living in fear? Fear of the future, fear of the present? Fear of what's going to transpire and take place over the next week, month, year? God does not give us a spirit of fear. Listen, there's no way in the world you're going to kill a giant if you're allowing fear to decide how you view life and what you do with your life. And the decisions you make. You can't let fear rule your spirit like that. You'll be hiding along with the armies of Israel. Courage is a requirement among giant killers. And that courage is a direct result of knowing you are not alone. And that God is with you. So we note that if we're going to be giant killers and we know we have to be, we need to be, then we must have biblical convictions. We have to have confidence that's rooted in past victories. We need courage that's grounded in the presence of Christ. But finally, we need character. We need some character. See, you and I need a fire that burns in us. We need something that wells up in us and says, that's not right. I've got some Bible convictions and I'm confident in the Lord Jesus Christ and I have the courage to stand up and I'm not going to bend. I'm not going to quit. It takes character. Let me talk to you real quickly about a couple of elements that I see in David's life. First of all, humility. Remember when we were talking just a moment ago about David and how he faced, uh, you know, Saul, here's the king, and here's this man that's taller than the rest, and here's another one that's been trained in warfare, so to speak. And he says, listen, don't let your hearts be afraid. I got this. Wow, how arrogant is he? Think about Eliab as he goes to him and he says, oh, I know thine heart. I know your pride. Let me show you something I think is so interesting. Remember David back in chapter 16? Remember how he was taking care of his father's sheep and We have Samuel, the prophet, that is sent to Jesse's house to identify the next king of Israel. Remember how he viewed all seven of the brothers, and yet none of them met the bill. And so Samuel says, is there any others? Oh, yes, there's my youngest son, David. I mean, little David. He's he's out there taking care of the sheep. Uh, Well, I'm not going to sit down until he shows up. David shows up, and what happens? He gets anointed to be king, the next king of Israel. He is anointed by the man of God to be the next king of Israel. It's interesting to me, as I note that David is found playing a harp and is Saul's armor bearer. 
Here he is playing a harp. Old Saul the king. Remember, Saul's still the king. David has been anointed to be the next king. And here he finds himself playing a harp. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Oh, here's your armor. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Oh, wait a second. Wait a second. That's not the only thing we see. He's sent back home now. And where do we find David now that he's been sent back home? We find him out in the field with the sheep. When Eliab said, who'd you, who'd you leave those sheep with? He's making a derogatory remark toward David. Hey, listen, you're a nobody. You're a nothing, David. You ought to be out there with the sheep. The youngest were always expected to take care of the sheep. But here's David. He's back home caring for the sheep, even though he has been anointed the next king of Israel. Oh, wait a second. That's not where it ends again. Wait a second. We find out here before the giant, before uh, the armies are poised on the top of those mountaintops and the valley of Elah below, before he walks into the valley and calls out the God of Israel and calls out the armies of Israel, before David makes his way down into that valley and before David cuts his head off. David submits to his father's authority and he takes food to his brothers. You want me to do what, sir? Take food to the... Oh, yes, sir. Got it. Got it, dad. No problem. Anything you say. Your dad. I'm the son. I'll do whatever you say. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was anointed the next king... And my daddy said, you go take care of the sheep. I'd be like, wait a second. Do you know who you're talking to? Do you realize who I am? Do you know what God says about me? I'm going to be the next king of Israel. You don't want to tell me to go out and take care of sheep. I hold your life in my hands. Do you understand the pride, the arrogance that probably you and I would have, would have enjoyed? Do you realize how we would have embraced that? I mean, we, we simply sing a good special and we're like, <laughs> look at me. <laughs> oh man, I'm somebody. We preach a good sermon and we're somebody. We teach Sunday school. I'm a somebody. I sing in the choir. I'm somebody. I want a soul to Jesus Christ. What about that? David was anointed the next king of Israel. And yet all we see him doing is humbling himself. That's called godly character. Oh, I know, in the world there's all kind of character. I get that, and there are a lot of characters. But the fact is, is that there is a character that gets you out of bed. There's a character that helps you do your homework. There's a character that keeps you going when you should quit. But my friend, let me tell you, we need some godly character. Let's teach our children to get into their Bibles every day, to get on their knees every day, to be at God's house every time the doors are open. Godly character that says, I won't quit. I won't stop. I'll keep going. Amen. Oh, we'll teach them how to get A's in school, and we think we've done a fabulous job as parents. And may I say that's a good thing to teach your children. But how sad is it when we don't give them or teach them godly character? And can I tell you, they will never have godly character in most cases. There are exceptions to the rule unless they see it in your life. And it begins with a humble servant's heart. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time.
We want the exaltation, but we certainly don't want the submission or the humility. We all want someone to wait on us. We don't want to wait on them. But the secret to giant killing is some godly character that includes a humble heart. Not only that, but commitment. Character that, is, that exhibits commitment. Again, dedicated to a cause. Rain or shine, good or bad, it doesn't matter. I'm in. I'm in. Humility, commitment, and also consistency. We often call that self-discipline. Self-discipline we would talk about. Are you consistent in your beliefs? Are you consistent in your stand? Are you consistent in your investment? It's a funny thing how consistent we are to go to work. Because, well, we have to. I've got to feed my family. How consistent we are to go on vacation every year. Well, I mean, it's important because my family's important and we need time away. How consistent we are in, as I said, holding our children to do their homework. I wonder, are you just as consistent to require your children to do their memory verse? We're teaching our children or trying to teach them to have some kind of character and to be consistent. The problem is, what are we teaching them to be consistent in? Are you just as consistent to make sure you're up and ready for church like you are up and ready for work? Yeah, but it's different. It isn't no different. It's called priorities. Some things are more important to you than others. Can I tell you, when the giants start knocking on your door, you won't be ready to face them. You'll run. You better have some godly character, humility, commitment, and consistency. You're always where you're supposed to be, always doing what you're supposed to be doing. The Apostle Paul, he put it this way. He said, for I am now ready to be offered in the time of my departures at hand. I have fought a good fight. I finished my course. I have kept the faith. You know what he's saying? I've been consistent. Convictions, confidence, courage, character, all necessary, all needful if you're going to kill a giant. My friend Chad, I, I met him in the Army a number of years ago, obviously now. Chad lives in South Carolina. He lives in Spartanburg, South Carolina. Chad's a good guy. He's, an, he's, a, he's just, a, he, he's, he's just a, a country boy. Chad had some uncles, and he would tell me some stories about his uncles. And his uncles were real pranksters. I mean, they were always doing something to kind of get over and trying to do something crazy. And, and one time, all the brothers got together, and they left one of them out, of course, and they decided to prank one of their brothers. And so they, they decided to sneak in at night, and they did. They snuck at his house at night, and there his, his truck sat out there in the, in the driveway, and they went ahead and they jacked up that truck. They pulled off every single tire, and they set it on blocks. They rolled the tires away. Then that morning, he came out to go to work. And as he walked outside to go get in his truck, he went, he saw his truck up on blocks. I don't know about you, but that would be pretty shocking. I'm going to tell you what, the body of that truck was pristine. 
That engine, it purred like a kitten. Do you know that the gas tank was full? But he didn't go anywhere. You want to know why? You know why. He didn't have any wheels. It's not enough to simply have a, 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 a pristine body or the engine running well or the gas tank full. You've got to have wheels on a vehicle if it's going to get somewhere. The same is true with killing giants. It's sad, but many times we'll say, well, you know, I, I've got some confidence in God. But do you have any biblical convictions? Well, you know, I, I have courage when it comes to certain things. I, there's no man. I'll stand before any man. There's no man that I'm afraid of. I have some courage. Yeah, but is your courage grounded in the presence of Christ or is it just in your own ability? As I promise you, that kind of courage will wax and wane. Hey, you don't, you, listen, you can have every piece and every part except one, but I'm telling you, if you're going to kill a giant, you need all four. You better have some biblical convictions. You need confidence that's rooted in some past victories. You need some courage that's grounded in the presence of Christ. And you have to have some godly character. You need all four if you're going to be victorious over the giant. And my friend, let me tell you today that our young people are depending on us to kill some giants. Somebody's got to show them that the Christian life is worth living. Somebody's got to show them that Christianity is not dead, that God can still rise above all the problems in this world and that he can give us the victories. I want to encourage you to kill giants, but I also want to warn you. If you're going to kill giants, you're going to need some convictions, biblical, Bible convictions. You're going to need some confidence rooted in past victories. You're going to need some courage grounded in this, the presence of Jesus Christ. You're going to need some godly character. Don't think you're going to wake up tomorrow a giant killer. Father, we come to you. We thank you for this simple message, for the time we've had to simply consider your word. We ask that you'd be glorified, magnified, and exalted in it all. Lord, I, I just pray that you'd help us to realize, Lord, that it's not enough to simply know that you're, you're real. It's not enough to just simply know the Bible's the word of God. We have to apply it to our life. We're never going to overcome problems. We're never going to get victory over the giants. Oh, we... We may be able to handle some things in our own flesh. We may be able to manipulate the circumstance or situation. But, Lord, if we're going to deal with the supernatural, if we're going to really do the impossible, it's going to be because we have adopted these characteristics and qualities. It's going to be because we have allowed you to have preeminence in our life already and that you have prepared us for that moment, that time, when the giants come knocking. Help us to be giant killers for the sake of our marriages, the sake of our families, the sake of our communities, our country, our world, for the sake of souls. Be glorified now, Lord, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet, every head bowed, every eye closed. I wonder today, do you know for sure heaven's your home? Can you say uh, beyond a shadow of a doubt, I know, I know, I know that Jesus Christ is my Savior. I remember receiving and accepting him in my life. I remember trusting him as my Savior. I remember how I felt before I was saved, how the burden of sin weighed on my shoulders, but how 
Jesus Christ lifted that burden when I received and accepted him, how he bore my sin in my place. You need to get that settled if you don't have it settled. But then once you've settled it, will we as believers settle for mediocrity in our Christian lives? Will being a good enough Christian be enough? I don't know about you, but I don't want some doctor operating on me that said, well, you know, I did go to school and I did finally get a degree, but it didn't really, I didn't take it too serious. I mean, I just got by, you know what I mean? Did what I had to do just to get the degree. That's all, just enough. No, I don't want that guy operating on me. Go to the dentist and he says, well, you know, I did an online course. You know, I did the minimum. I got, I got, I got my degree though. I'm like, no, that's okay. I'll go find somebody that's actually serious about this business. You know, sadly enough, there's a lot of Christians that are wanting to get the online version. And I tell you, it's not going to work. We need some victories, some spiritual victories in our life. That doesn't happen by chance or coincidence. That doesn't happen without putting forth some effort. We need some biblical convictions, convictions that are rooted in scriptural truth. We need some confidence that's rooted in past victories. We've got to have some courage, but that courage has got to be grounded in the presence of Christ himself. We need some godly character that begins with a humble servant's heart that continues and constantly grows as we remain committed and we are consistent in our walk with Christ. Then when we hear the cry of the giants in the valley, we will not be so quick to run. Instead, we'll be quick to listen and ultimately take our place in the battlefield and rise above our fears and pursue the foe. What giant stands between you and joy? What giant stands between you and peace this morning? What giant seems to be holding you back or holding you down? Can I tell you, you're going to have to face that giant, but you don't have to face him alone. You face him with the Lord Jesus Christ. close in just a moment, but do you know for sure heaven's your home? Be ashamed to walk out of here without Christ. He is the only way, the truth, and the life. There's no other options. It's either him or nothing. It says, neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. If you haven't called on Jesus Christ, then you are, no, you are not saved. You're not safe, nor are you secure. He alone is the answer to your soul's problem.
Well, thank you for joining in with us this morning for our morning service, and uh, we are glad to have you here. If you're visiting with us today and you didn't stop in the Welcome Center on your way in today, they ask you to stop there on your way out. We have a small gift for you there, and we'd love a record of your visit with us today. And, uh, and then also want to invite you back this evening, 6 o'clock, for our evening service Sunday night, uh, as well as our Wednesday night service. Don't forget, on Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, we'll have our normal service here in the auditorium, prayer time, all of that. Uh, but we also have our children's Sunday school training going on that kicks back off again this Sunday night or this Wednesday night. And so 7 o'clock, if you're a part of that for the next three weeks, you'll come in, you'll go upstairs to the, the junior church room in the back of the fellowship hall, and, uh, and you'll be a part of that and uh, watch Pastor, join Pastor up there as he uh, sets the, the tone for our children's Sunday school ministries. And so please make sure you're a part of that. Um, I want to uh, encourage you, as I did this morning in the, uh, the 9 o'clock service, to just remind us about our duty and the marching orders we receive from the Lord to be a witness for Him. And so uh, yeah, as we go throughout our week, I know we don't have our Saturday morning or Tuesday night organized outreaches, uh, but that doesn't stop us from still having to be obedient to that command. And so if you're able to this morning, as you walk out, you can take a packet of those cards and say, I'll take and, and hand those out on a route this week. The route's out there, a little map, the cards that you'll need to do it. Um, and maybe you can join us on Saturday for our children's Bible clubs. You can come be a part of that. We're still lacking a bunch of workers to get that extra Bible club going, and we're running out of good weather to get it going. And so if you could help us with that. I just want to give a, a word of testimony about uh, some of those handouts that we're doing. Mm -hmm. You know the one that we sent out on the, um, uh, that we paid to send out and we mailed out? I had obviously last week had a deer run into me and my car got all messed up. Well, the police officer that came and addressed and dealt with that problem, we got to talking. I started telling him who I was and so forth. And he, he said to me, oh, you know what? I'm, he, said, he said, listen, I'm a Christian. And I said, well, praise God, you know. And then he started telling me, he said, where do you pastor? And I said, well, I pastor at that church up there, the old carousel dinner. Oh, yeah, you guys used to be on Canton Road. And he, was home, and he said, I just want to let you know I received that card you gave in the mail. He goes, I, I can't explain to you, but he goes, that is the most effective thing I've seen throughout all of COVID. It really hit home, and it really spelled things out. Amen. He goes, man, keep up the good work. Amen. Police officer right in Uniontown. Amen. So it's, it's being effective, right? We're not doing everything we want to do, and we're going to get back to that, but we have, a, we have things we can do. And, uh, and so let's make sure that we're doing something. And uh, it doesn't take much. I know a lot of times, you know, we think it's this big thing. Like Pastor said, let's have some small victories. It's not hard to hand out a track. It's really not. And you'll be amazed what kind of conversation that opens up. And, uh, and so uh, let's be a faithful witness for the Lord. He's done so much for us. Amen. Salvation, a home in heaven. Let's be a faithful witness for him as we go throughout our weeks. It's the least we can do. And a world that is hurting, desperate, hopeless, when we have all the answers they need. And so let's make sure we share those answers with them. All right. Have a great afternoon. We'll see you tonight at 6 o'clock. Lord, we do thank you for the day. We thank you for the time in your house this morning. And uh, Lord, we thank you for that uh, convicting, your Holy Spirit working in our hearts and lives, the convicting message. Thank you for the, the applicable, uh, applicable truths, Lord, where we can take those and we can make them a part of our lives, Lord, where we do, that we just don't have to be hearers. We don't walk away from the message today wondering what we should do. We have simple truths that we can put into, into practice in our lives, Lord, to help us and prepare us to be giant killers. Lord, I thank you for that. Thank you for our pastor and the wisdom you've given him. Lord, I pray you continue to bless and protect our church. Be with us as we go home this afternoon. May we take this day and meditate upon you and your goodness in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.